Thank you for joining us for this week's message at Praise Chapel Paramount. We hope you enjoy this message from our midweek service with Pastor Isaac Roman. Also, we'd love to hear what God has done in your life. To hear your story, email us at info at pcparamount.org. Again, we hope you enjoy this message. It's good to see everyone tonight. You guys feeling good tonight? I'm, I'll, tell, I'll tell you this. I, I got here at uh, about 6.35. I walked in here and the worship team, uh, they were practicing. And uh, I felt the anointing of the Holy Spirit the moment that I walked in here. And so uh, first I want to honor the presence of the Lord in this place. Um, secondly, I want to honor the anointing on our, on our ministers, all of our ministers. Uh, but our worship team, um, you guys are, are uniquely anointed. So, uh, so we appreciate that. We appreciate setting the atmosphere. It makes it very easy for us to preach. As you guys can see, you guys got me tonight. So, uh, all right. Okay. So, all right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I do want to, before I, before I go any further, I do want to honor um, our pastors, Pastor Omar and Pastor Letty. I love you guys. You guys are awesome. Um, I can say a lot about my pastor, but... Uh, I'll say, I'll say this much. Uh, make sure that you value um, the spiritual leadership that we have uh, in, in this church. Um, uh, starting from, it starts from the head. Uh, we all know that Jesus is, 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 uh, is in control of this house, but it starts with the under-shepherd, our pastors, and then all throughout our leaders. And so, uh, and so I honor all of our leaders, and, and I honor all of you guys tonight. So, amen. Give yourselves a hand. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I was thinking about uh, I was thinking about what what it is that I could wh- that I could preach, and I, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I often feel um, a little bit foolish when, um, when 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 I'm asked to preach because uh, you know we've all gone to church a long time and we've all we've all heard we've all heard it all, and uh, and so I was thinking you know what, what what should I preach about? And I said I'm gonna preach about Jesus, and so that that's what I'm gonna talk about tonight. All right, and so. Uh, and so I'll, I'll tell you this, um, we're, we're in this, uh, we're, we're in our sermon series called The Table, and uh, Pastor Omar really opened that up uh, really well on Sunday, um, and, and, and how many of us are, are, are happy and, and rejoice in the fact that we have a seat, we have an invitation at the table, every single one of us, and so, so that's a beautiful thing, and, and we're going to talk more about that throughout the, the sermon series, we're going to talk about the community, um, us as believers, how, how we can come together. Uh, and, and I'll be a part, we all have a part, um, but I was thinking, man, why don't we just talk about, uh, maybe tonight, why don't we just talk about the host, all right, we talk about, we're going to talk about the host tonight, and, and the one that bids us to come, the one that invites us, and so uh, it's just, it, I'm just excited about tonight, I'll, tell, I'll, I'll say this, um, Pastor Omar says this uh, often, but uh, uh, um, what becomes common, we do not value, how many of you would agree with that, what becomes common we do not value, and so so oftentimes, and we, we see it in our lives where uh, you know we start taking people for granted, we start taking uh, the ones that we love uh, for granted, um, and, and oftentimes we take the Lord and His grace and His mercy for granted on our lives. And so uh, I want to emphasize the goodness of God in our lives. I want to emphasize Jesus and who He is to each and every one of us. I, I was thinking about this. I'll tell you when when uh, when when we talk about. These things, and it's the very simple gospel. I, I, I tell people all the time that what we do uh, is simple, but it's not easy. You've heard me say that. Uh, it's a simple gospel, a very simple gospel. And I, I think that 
uh, oftentimes uh, our belief system is, is predicated by our experiences. And so um, we've heard about confirmation biases. That means that uh, because of a past experience, you already know what's going to happen, right? You guys, you guys following me there? And so I think that sometimes we need a new experience with God. I, I, th- I think that we just need a, a fresh experience with the Holy Spirit, and it, it, it'll change the way that we believe. It'll change our faith. Our faith will become actionable. Our faith will become real. Our, our faith will become alive, and we'll have evidence of faith in our lives. Amen? Amen. All right. So I'll tell you this, uh, share a story. Uh, last Friday, and, and I want to I want to honor uh, Fresh Fire, Fresh Fire Ministry. I want to honor uh, um, Daisy and Anthony as they lead and, and his leadership. But I, I got to share this. So Friday, uh, Friday night, um, we had life group and, and after life group, um, uh, we came to pick up our kids. We have we have two two of our kids that come to Fresh Fire, and uh, we got a phone call from uh, from uh, my 11 year old, my son. Um, I don't see him in here, but we got a phone call from him, and uh, um, he was he was kind of sh- he was kind of shook. Uh, he was shaken up a little bit, and so uh, we we weren't sure exactly what was going on. And uh, um, I'll kind of fast forward. Uh, we got him home, and and he was he was he was emotional, and uh, um, he said that that uh, that that Anthony was preaching, and he and one of the things that stuck with him was that uh, um, the question was, "What have you done with our, with my son Jesus?" And uh, and and I just think that the that revelation became very very real to him, and uh, and he was emotional, and and in that, uh, how how many of us know that God speaks to us through our children? Yeah, believe that. Our, yeah, God speaks to us through our children. And so as we were sitting there in my room, uh, he was overcome with emotion. He was saying, hey, I need to do more. I, I, need to, I need to tell more people. I need to talk about Jesus. I need to talk about what Jesus has done in my life, what's he, what he's doing in my life, and all, and all those things. I, I, I got convicted in that moment, uh, and, and, I, and I, I repented before God. Um, you know, one of the things that he said to me, he said, you know, how, how, do, I, how do I be more like you and mom? And I, I was humbled by that because uh, I, there's... I'm by I, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, what 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 I thought about is uh, is this is that that someone's always watching, right? And so as parents, our children are watching the way that we react, the way the way that we respond to them, the way that we respond to situations, the words that we use, amen. The way that we treat people, um, you know, our children are watching us, and so and so let's be let's be mindful of that, let's be careful of that. But I think this, I think that. Uh, in, in that moment, um, my, my kids have been raised in church, and, and so they've heard it all. They've, they, they've, they've been through it all, all that kind of stuff. But I, I believe that uh, in that moment, um, the, the common became very, very real to him. And, 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 uh, and how many of us have been touched by, by God and, and had an experience, an encounter with God that just really just changed our lives? How many of us have had that experience? Yeah. And so, and so that, that experience changes everything, should change everything, Right. And so, and so we just ask God to continue to show his mercies, you know, every single day, right? His, 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 his grace is every single day. So um, I, was, I, was, I was listening to the sermon on Sunday, and I was reading Luke 14 out of the great, out of the great uh, banquet. And uh, uh, one of the things in verse 22, uh, I, I really like this. It says that um, Jesus was talking. He said, when the servant returns, so this is after he goes and and gets all the blind and the lame and all the people that are all jacked up and, and has them come in. He comes back and he says, sir, I have done what, what you asked, but there's still room for more. And I'm here to tell you that there's still room for you. If, if you've fallen out of the grace of God, uh, if, if, you're, if you're still believing, 
If you're still believing for loved ones, your, your sons, your daughters, spouses, whatever it is, there's still room. Uh, there's still room for, for them. And so, uh, so I, I think about this is the invitation is always valid as long as we still have breath in our lungs. And so no one's gone too far. Uh, if, if we're believing for, for loved ones, let's continue to believe for them and, and let's believe that God is going to get a hold of them. Amen? Amen. Oh, one of the old-time preachers said, said this in regards to preaching and preaching about Jesus. He says, I sometimes wonder that you do not get tired of my preaching because I do nothing but hammer away on this one nail. With me, it is year after year, none but Jesus. Oh, you great saints, if you have outgrown the need of a sinner's trust in the Lord Jesus, You've outgrown your sins, but you have also outgrown your grace, and your self-righteousness has ruined you. Another, uh, A.W. Tozer says this. He says, to, find, to, to have found God and to still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. And so listen to this. The pursuit of Jesus, the pursuit of understanding him deeper and more and, 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 and having fresh revelation every single day, it should be our soul's pursuit every single day. Uh, when, when, when we encounter God, when we encounter Jesus, when he's changed our lives, that's the beginning stage. And then we just continue to pursue after God more and more, and his revelations become new and new and, uh, and, and take us from glory to glory. And so uh, I think that this is, a, this is a worthy pursuit. Amen? Amen. So before I get into the message, why, why don't we pray? If you would bow your heads, and um, I'm going to ask you to pray as, as I pray too, that just God's grace and his anointing is with us tonight. So, Father, we just thank you, God. Lord, we, we honor you. We honor your presence in this place. And, Father, we give you the highest position in this house. Father, we honor you. We thank you for your truth. I pray tonight, God, that as I declare your truth, Father, that the revelation would become real to us. Father, that it would change us forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, I titled, I titled our, my sermon tonight, um, Our Casual Confession. Our Casual Confession. And, uh, and really what, I, uh, what I'm going to be speaking out of is, is John 1, 29 primarily. And, uh, and this is a confession of John the Baptist. M- many of us know what it is. And so I'm going to read it, 1 John 29 through 30. Uh, it says this. It says, the very next day, uh, John saw Jesus coming to him to be baptized. And John cried out, look, there he is, God's lamb. He will take away the sins of the world. I told you that a mighty one would come who is far greater than I am because he existed long before I was born. My baptism was for the preparation of his appearing to Israel, even though I've yet to experience him. So when you look at John and you look at the scripture, and I think a lot of things, a lot of things that maybe um, the significance gets lost on us is because, uh, number one, we're, we're, most of us um, is not Jewish, Right? Most of us are not, are not Jewish, and those of you that are Jewish, I, I honor you, but most of us are not Jewish, and so most of us don't really understand what was going on. Um, most of us, the significance is lost because we, we, we don't understand the culmination of everything that's going on, and so John is like a, like a throwback, kind of, right? So John is this wild man uh, living in the wilderness, um, and, and he's a prophet, kind of a throwback to Elijah, Right? And, uh, and so he comes, and what, who he's speaking to, I always say this con- there, there's no text without context. So, so the context of this is who he's speaking to. And he's speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to the Israelites, the people that know, uh, know the Old Testament, know the prophets, and, and all these different things. And he's prophesying to them, saying, Behold, 
here he is, God's lamb. And I, I, I think in that, in that moment, um, the Pharisees, they, 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 had a, they had one of two decisions. They had a decision to believe what John was saying or they had a decision to reject what John was saying. We all know how that all played out, right? Um, but, but in that moment, uh, you know, those, those of you that know the story of John, John knew Jesus. John grew up with Jesus. John was a relative of Jesus. But in this moment, he had a revelation of Jesus. He had a revelation of who he was and who he truly was. And I believe in that moment, he was shocked. He was shell-shocked. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And tonight, I, I really want to I, I really imprint that into your hearts tonight, that you would look at Jesus as, as who he is and, uh, and, and for, what, for what he is. And so, kind of teach a little bit on this, and then, and then we'll get into some points here. But uh, the first thing that that John was saying, John was, was stating something that had been prophesied years and years before, right? And so he's looking at Jesus, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And what he's referring to is the Passover. Now, I know that we just went through Easter, so I'm not going to try to give you another lesson on that. But I think that it's important for us to understand the significance of what was going on because I believe that that helps the, the truth to be driven deeper in our hearts and our minds. And so the Passover lamb, as, we mo- as most of us know in Exodus, um, was, was the animal that God directed the Israelites to use as a sacrifice in Egypt on the night God struck down the firstborn sons of every household. So this was the final plague that God issued against Pharaoh, and it led to Pharaoh releasing the Israelites from slavery. So after that night, God instructed the Israelites to observe the Passover feast as a lasting memorial. And so we're going to be talking about that a little bit more on Sunday, so I'm just going to move right past that. But that, that was the Passover. So, so God instructed uh, every household of, Isra- of the Israelite people to select a year-old lamb without defect. Uh, the head of the household was to slaughter the lamb at twilight, taking care uh, or taking, uh, taking into consideration that none of its bones were broken and apply some of its blood to the tops and the sides of the door frames of the house. The lamb was to be roasted and eaten. God also gave instructions on how you should eat that and all, uh, in, in all of that, if, if, you, if you want really good reading, is in Exodus and Leviticus, all right? So just um, maybe you go home and do that tonight. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll jump down. So God said that when he saw the lamb's blood on the doorframe of a house, he would pass over that home and not permit the destroyer to enter. So any home without the blood of the lamb would have their firstborn struck down that night. So the New Testament is establishing the relationship between a really a foreshadowing of the Passover lamb and the consummate Passover lamb, which is Jesus, uh, the Christ. And so the prophet John, uh, the, uh, I'm sorry, the prophet John the Baptist recognized Jesus as the Lamb of God, and the apostle Peter also talked about that in 1 Peter 1.19. And so they're pointing to Jesus continually. They're pointing to Jesus as this, as this Messiah, this this, this one that was prophesied years and years ago, and they're all confirming and reaffirming that. So Jesus qualified to be called the one without blemish because his life was completely free from sin. So in Revelation, John the Apostle uh, talks about Jesus and sees him as a lamb looking as it had been slain. And Jesus was crucified during the time of the, of the Passover. So all of these things are all coming together. Um, all of the prophecies are being fulfilled in this. And so the Bible says that, that believers, we have symbolically applied the sacrificial blood of Christ on our hearts and our minds and have escaped eternal death. That's a good thing, right? 
So we, we now apply the blood of Jesus onto our hearts and our minds, and we now have escaped eternal death. And so listen to this. Write this down if, if you're taking notes. As the Passover marks the Hebrews' release of Egyptian slavery, the death of Christ marks our release from the slavery of sin. We're no longer slaves of sin. We no longer have to live the way that we lived. We no longer have to think the way that we think. But we've been, we've been set free by the blood of Christ. Amen? Amen. So, so what does it mean when John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the world? I'm going to give you two things, and we're going to talk about a lot of other things. But the first thing meant that God, uh, that Jesus would die. And, that, uh, and not that he would just die, like in his sleep, but it says that he would be slaughtered. And if you look at that word, if you look at the word that, that was used for that, it was a violent death. We all understand that the crucifixion was a, was a violent death for Jesus I think about this, and, and uh, I think it's worth saying that um, we, our faith is a very bloody faith. I was thinking about the song that was, that was sung tonight about the, the head of our enemy. That's pretty, it's pretty graphic, right? You guys, did you guys catch that? Yeah. It's pretty graphic. But that's our great defender, right? He wins completely, and he, he's, he's won a complete victory in our lives um, but anyway, so it's a, it's a violent death. So, so Jesus was going to die. And so I, so I pose the question is, uh, who is Jesus to you? So Jesus is many things to many people, right? Uh, he's, been called, uh, uh, he's been called a great man. He's been called a great teacher, a great prophet, all these different things. Um, but my question is, who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus your meal ticket? Is Jesus uh, your your your, uh, your way to get what you want is Jesus the, the, the releaser of blessings? Is Jesus, um, you know, all of, all of these different things. I think about the table. And I think oftentimes we, uh, we could uh, misinterpret the table. We think about the table and we think about what we get out of that, right? And, and we're going to sit down and we're going to get a meal, um, you know, all, all of these different things. But who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus Lord of your life? That, that's the question. Is Jesus truly Lord of your life? And so, um, so Jesus didn't, didn't, uh, didn't mince words when, when, when asked about who he was. And in John 14, 6, he says that, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. That no one comes next to the Father except through union with me. To know me is to know my Father too. And so Jesus, as he was many things to many people, he made it very, very clear. There was no, there, there was no towing the line with Jesus. Um, often, oftentimes you may have heard this said, but Jesus was either a lunatic or he was God. There's no, there, there's no in between. And so he, he left no, no space for someone to misinterpret who he was or who he was saying he was. And so for us, we need to, we, we need to make a decision. So Jesus Christ, he is the way. So Christ declared, I am the way. But clearly not everyone believes him. The evidence of Jesus and his great works are well documented both in and out of the Bible. I'm going to give you a little bit of evidence if that's okay. Um, I got the mic, so, so I guess I'll do it. Uh, the evidence of his crucifixion on the cross was the empty tomb three days later and his appearance to over 500 eyewitnesses uh, after his resurrection. Um, Jesus fulfilled over 300 messianic prophecies written in the Old Testament. I heard, I heard a study, and you could probably Google this. Um, I, won't, I, won't, I won't try to... Um, remember it, but I heard a study about the, really the, the statistics of 
of how Jesus would be able to fulfill a quarter of the prophecies. And so for him to fulfill over 300 messianic prophecies, is, it confirms, it validates, it solidifies that Jesus was, every, was, was everything that he said he was. And then all, lastly, with the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls and the reliability of the Septuagint version of the Old Testament, both of which have been proven to exist prior to the time of Jesus walked on earth, we could all be assured that the prophecies were not done after, right? We didn't, we didn't fix things and change things to make it all work, but Jesus truly was the Messiah. Jesus truly was the one that the prophets were talking about. And so Jesus is the way. Say that. Jesus is the way. Say it like you mean it, please. Jesus is the way. That's right. That's right. Jesus is the truth. Thank you. Jesus is the truth. Thank you. So listen to this. Jesus declared he's the truth. I'm going I'm to spend a little bit of time on this because I think it's very relevant to, to our culture. But Jesus declared that he is the truth, but many of us have created our own concepts of truth. Listen to this. Moral relativism. Moral relativism. This is something that's a part of our culture. Uh, this is something that... that uh, has really shut the mouth of the, of the Christian church and taking a stand. So let, let me define that. Moral relativism is the view that moral or ethical, ethical statements, which vary from person to person, are all equally valid. And no one's opinion of right and wrong is really better than any other. It suggests that absolute morals do not exist. And what is right or wrong is entirely a product of human preference. As with other forms of relativism, it is only mentioned, listen to this, it is only mentioned in a defensive way. The principles of moral relativism can only be used to excuse or allow certain actions. They can never be used to condemn them. Listen to this. If society truly, truly lived with moral relativism uh, in, in our infrastructure, society would implode. Society would implode. Because what, what, this is, what this is saying and really what, what we're allowing uh, the culture to tell us is that if it feels right, it's okay. Regardless of who I hurt, regardless of, uh, of, of anything else, my truth is my standard. And so what I feel is right is right. And you have no right to say anything else. We become animals at that point. You understand what I'm saying? The second thing, the second thing, as, as, uh, as we're talking about Jesus being the truth, the second thing is religious pluralism. Let, let, I'll, I'll make that very simple. I, had a, I was going to put a picture up, but I, I decided not to. But you guys ever seen the, uh, the bumper sticker, Coexist? You, you ever seen that, where it's got all the religious symbols in it? And basically it's telling you, hey, you know, Keep your religion to yourself. Let us all practice ours. You know, kumbaya, it's all good, right? Come on. So listen to this. Religious pluralism. So many people claim, oh, I, got, I got to share the story. So I was sitting with someone, and uh, they began to tell me the story about uh, this property that, uh, that the, um, 
that, that uh, a wealthy lady had, had left to a community of people, to a community. And, um, and her stipulation was that uh, I'm going to give it on, 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 uh, on the basis that you'll, you'll hold a, um, uh, a sunrise service every Easter. And, uh, and, and so um, as, as I'm going, as, as the gentleman's telling me this, I'm listening. And, uh, and I thought that was really cool. I thought that was awesome. Um, I, I, I held my opinion to myself and, and let him finish the story. Um, and, and he went through, he showed, he showed me a newspaper article kind of validating everything that he said. And then, and then I saw at the, at the bottom that it was, um, that it was organized by um, the Latter-day Saints. And it was a, it was a Christian, it was, it, was, it was labeled as a Christian movement, a Christian uh, meeting, but it was, it, it was labeled truly with a cult. Um, and so listen to this. Many people claim to be Christians because they profess belief in Jesus Christ. However, notions of belief have taken on a wide range of definitions in the current Christian church. Specifically, more and more Christian leaders want to escape the label of intolerance and narrow-mindedness. They want to be accepted in a world where everyone is saying, my truth is different than your truth, and my, my God is different than your way, to, or my way to God is different than your way to God. So don't judge others on, uh, so don't judge others based on outdated books, rules, and morals. That sounds very, very familiar, right? How many of us have, have heard this? Yes. You try to shut the mouth of truth, and we, and we, and we can't stand for it. So there are approximately 2 billion people that call themselves Christians, more than 1 billion people that call themselves Muslims, more than 850 million people that call themselves Hindus, more than 600 million people that call themselves Buddhists, approximately 150 million people that label, label themselves atheists. This is what I'm saying, is that all of these people can't be right. There's only one way. There's only one truth. And we have to stand for the truth. Amen? I said we have to stand for the truth. So truth is redefined daily. However, Jesus, through his word, the Bible, gave us absolute truth. So what about your own pursuit of truth? Is it a, is it a priority in your life? To read the Bible, to meditate on the Bible? And so how do we discover Christ's truth? Matthew 7, 7, Jesus says, ask and the gift is yours. You want revelation? Ask God. Ask and the gift is yours. Seek and you'll discover. Knock and the door will be open to you. And so I, I, I challenge you tonight to, to be a seeker of truth. Pursue the truth, right? Uh, I, I just believe that in, in teaching and in understanding these things, it grounds us. It anchors our faith in something that's, that's greater than our emotion greater than, than our feelings and all these different things. Um, moral relativism and religious pluralism don't stand for it. Speak up. Speak up. Don't stand for it. It's false. Amen. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you, babe. Thank you. Jesus Christ is the life. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Paul said in Philippians that everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Jesus Christ. Everything else is worthless. There is nothing 
that can measure, measure up against him having Jesus and knowing Jesus and living in that revelation. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. John 3.16 says, this is how much God loved the world. This is how much he loved us, that he gave his only son, unique son, as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish but experience everlasting life. I said, Jesus Christ is the life. Amen. Jesus Christ is who he said he was. Jesus is who he said he was. He said that he was the only way. He's unique in saying that. He was either telling the truth or he was crazy or he was a liar. But since everyone agrees that Jesus was a good man, ask anyone. What, what is Jesus to you? Well, Jesus was a good man. He was a good teacher. He taught, you know, good morals, all, all that kind of stuff. So he's either a good man or he's a liar. So Jesus is who he said he was. And Jesus is the only way to God. That's the first thing. The second thing. The second thing that Jesus signifies in being the Lamb of God is that it meant that he took the whole, uh, it meant that the whole world would benefit from it. And that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, the one that was promised to come, but his death would also take away the sin of the world, the Gentiles, all of us. And so Jesus, his sacrifice, his offering was sufficient. So listen to this in, in John eleven forty nine 49 through 52. Listen to this. It says that now Caiaphas, the high priest that year, spoke up and said, now understand, this is the high priest. Uh, and, and, and for context, they're plotting to kill Jesus. or plot, they, they don't know exactly what to do with Jesus yet. Right? And so, so here's the high priest, and he speaks out on behalf of, of the religious leaders. And he says, uh, you don't understand a thing. Don't you realize we'd be much better off if this one man were to die for the people than for the whole nation to perish? How many of you guys agree with that? It's okay to agree with that. that that's, that's true. That's truth. I, it wasn't a trick question. I'm sorry. He goes on to explain, this prophecy that Jesus was destined to die for the Jewish people didn't come from Caiaphas himself, but he was moved by God to prophesy as the chief priest. And Jesus' death would not be for the Jewish people only, but to gather together God's children scattered around the world and unite them as one. Listen to this. That scripture right there confirms the sovereignty of God. What that means right there is that God will use things that don't seem right, things that seem unjustified, things that seem to be out of whack. He will use them for his purpose. Come on. That, that should get some people excited. And so here's this man moving. He thinks that he's moving. He, he, he thinks that he's moving in a political realm. He thinks that he's moving in a natural realm. But the Holy Spirit has moved on him sovereignly to speak out. And so my word, to, my word to all of us is this, is that God is using situations that don't seem right. God is using the things that seem unjustified, the things that don't seem fair. God is using them to fulfill his purpose in our lives, in your life, in my life. Right? And so we have to have faith. I said we have to have faith. Right? God, God is in control. God is in control. So, so listen to this. So what happens when we fix our gaze on Jesus? I was thinking about that song, Turn, turn Your Eyes 
upon Jesus. That, that song just like was just moving in my spirit, right? Um, but what happens when we turn our eyes upon Jesus? Hebrews 10:14 says, "For by one offering, that's Jesus, the sacrifice of his own body on the cross, Jesus Christ has perfected for all time those who are being made holy. That's you and I. We're being made holy or being sanctified now progressively in this life. Listen to this. What Jesus accomplished on the cross sealed finally, completely what needed to happen for us. And so now those of us that have accepted Jesus and have applied the sacrificial blood on our hearts and our minds like I talked about, we are now walking in sanctification. Jesus calls us to be holy because because he's holy. And so we're walking this out. We have the power of God. We have the Holy Spirit. We're baptized by the Holy Spirit to walk this out. And God is sanctifying us. And so I, my, question is, my question to you is this. Is, is, your, is, your, is your life producing fruit of sanctification? Are you, can you say I am walking in holiness? God is working these things out in my life. I'm not perfect. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for the blood. I'm not perfect but I'm being sanctified. God is changing the way that I think. God is changing the way that I act. God is changing the way that I, my outlook on life. I'm being sanctified. So this is what happens when we fix our eyes on Jesus. So listen to this. We have a sin problem. We all have a sin problem. And so a lot of us are in, are in a deadly dream world most of the time. Listen to me. When it comes to how seriously some of us are in trouble with, with God because of our sin, we worry, we worry about a lot of other things. How many of, how, uh, I won't say it, but how many of you guys, when you're driving down the freeway and you see a cop, you slow down? Right? Or you, like, maneuver to put your seatbelt on or, or something. Or you drop your phone. How many of you guys do that? You drop your phone, huh? Like, I'm not even going to try to set it down. I'm just going <laughs> to drop it, right? Yeah. Listen, listen, listen. I'm sorry. I don't want to get off course. But listen to this. We think more about that than the condition of our heart is with the creator of, of the universe. Think about that. Think about that. We think we're, we're more concerned with what our boss is going to say to us. We're more concerned about what people are going to think of us, what, what, whatever it is, fill in the blank. But understand that we have, a, we have a serious issue. We have a serious issue. So sin is infinitely more serious than any of these things. And God's anger at sinners is the biggest problem in all of our lives, whether we know it or not. So in Hebrews 3, 10, and 11... It's funny, you, if, you, if, you, if you read through the Old Testament specifically, um, you, you see the grace and the mercy of God time and time again. You also see the wrath and the anger of God against his people because we treat him common, because we don't value. Hebrews 3, 10, and 11 says this, I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their hearts. They always go astray in their hearts. And they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. We have a sin problem. 
We have a heart problem. We have a real issue, and we need to get it right. So listen to this. To be blind or oblivious to the wrath of God against sinners is incredibly dangerous. It's like, I got a cheesy analogy for you, but it's like this. It's like not being able to smell the gas leak in your home, gathering around the pilot of your water heater, ready to blow up and burn your house down. Undetectable. You don't even notice it, but it's, it's there in a moment. Everything could go up. So it's dangerous for us to not be aware of the anger of God against those who turn their hearts from him to sin. And the reason it's so dangerous is that if we're blind to this reality of God's wrath, listen to this, if we're blind, oblivious, ignorant to the heart condition, then we won't take steps to find a remedy for sin and escape God's anger. If we're oblivious, if we if 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 we think if we're self-righteous, if we're self-justified, the danger in that is that when someone comes up here and starts talking to you about is your life holy? Are you living out sanctification in your life? You justify or we just say, God knows my heart. That's the problem. And so we need to take steps to remedy the different parts in our lives that we've not surrendered to God. I think about this when we fix our eyes on God. I love, I, I love Paul in Romans 7. And I'm, I'm sure most of us know what I'm talking about. But he goes through this whole interdialogue where, where he's all jacked up. He knows what he's supposed to do. He knows what he should do, but he can't do it. And the things that he hates about himself, the things that he hates to do, he continues to do them. He understands. He, uh, he had an encounter. He had an experience with God. He understood the holiness of God. And he understood the wretchedness of himself. So in Romans 7, the experience is this, oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me? And so listen, I think that, I think that when we have those moments, and I'm not suggesting that we should all walk around depressed or, or beat up or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. But I think that there's, uh, there, there's beauty in a little bit of healthy fear of God. I believe that. And when we understand who we are without God, without the grace of God, and we look at a holy God, we're like, we're like Paul when he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched man that I am. I'm unworthy. I'm unholy. Throughout the Bible, you see people, prophets, men of God that have an experience, have an encounter with God. And what's the first thing that they say? The first thing that they realize is their wretchedness, their unholiness, their brokenness. And I think that this is, a, is an experience that all of us could benefit from. Again, it, it'll, it'll help us uh, help us to have a holy reverence for a holy God. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.